dragon like sun yeah we're father son D D podcast and you if you're tuning in for the first time are catching us in the middle of celebrating like more than 100 episodes of this podcast crazy 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 achievement we've been doing this for a little while where we look at D D as it is now sometimes think about how it was in the past mm. and we encourage um, listeners to try something new with their character, with their table, with their game, um, read up on some rules maybe they never heard about um, for yeah, players new and old. We're here to help. And and to that end, uh, this is our second part of our 101 Things to Do in D&D Before You Die. Uh, that's right. Last episode, we covered uh, 101 until 90. Um, and, and this time, we're going to try and maybe get a couple more of those. Yeah, we're we'll see if we're picking up the pace yeah. a little bit. Uh, mm. So... Hey, uh, if you're following along uh, with the top 101, thanks again for joining in with us. And we kick off at number 89 this week, uh, which is build characters that you are likely never going to play. Mm, This one is, at first, maybe a little bit hard to grapple with. But once you get more familiar with making characters, and maybe you're in a bit of a D&D drought, you don't really have a game going on, mm-hmm. um, and you still want to experience a bit of D&D, get familiar with the rules, get familiar with some more classes. Yeah. I think a really easy and fun way to do that is by just building some characters. Especially with D&D Beyond. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one thing I will say is that this is more challenging if you don't have a subscription with D&D Beyond. Well, if you've got the player's handbook, you can still do this. Of course, yes. What I recommend, and this ties back last episode, we were talking about maybe stepping away from digital tools a little bit, just to experiment, not saying one is necessarily better than the other. Um, there's another reason why sometimes not using digital tools can also be a viable method. It lets you play around with character ideas uh, yeah. in, in, in ways you can't necessarily do with online builders that have more limits with how many characters you can make. Um, gosh, on D&D Beyond, how many characters do we have at this point? Over 400. And um, how many of them have we played? Six. <laughs> exactly. There's and there's a lot of those characters that are unplayable. There, I, I know recently I've built a couple that were just test ideas. Mm-hmm. I had this kind of, uh, what, do you call it, what do I call it, rage bear idea of a, a druid who could shapeshift into bears and also took the, the bard barbarian uh, barbarian i'm sorry the barbarian bear totem thing so i sort of like doubling down on the bear seemed like a fun idea and i was trying to see if those two things work together well i, I don't know if they really do i think they do ah uh, they could with it, it would need some more work i think but i was it was more of a proof of concept mm. sort of thing and we do a lot of that and and by doing that um if you have access to the digital tools particularly it's very quick and easy to put that sort of thing together, play around with it. And in the process you learn, um, sure. I knew the path of the totem was there and I'd kind of read it a few times. Don't think I ever built anything out of it, but suddenly I'm like, or actually you were the one that mentioned when I was talking about making a, a 
barbarian druid and what an odd weird idea that was you were the one who was like yeah why don't you do bears and i'm like bears that's a great idea and so then i'm like researching and digging up and you do i learned more about the path the totem than i had known before and i think this is especially um an interesting learning experience because when there is a campaign something i really encourage players to do is build character in that world and by not having to do that or being necessarily restricted to what that world is when I'm thinking of making a character, I don't really think of backstories and I don't really think about who this person is. I focus all on the min-maxing, all on the, you know, what race is this character and what sure. does that do for the build? And what is it? And, and if you're really into the numbers game, I encourage you, if you have the chance, make lots and lots and lots of characters. See you know, sure. you know, experiment with things you've never seen or heard about before. Like, yeah, I've heard a ranger is, is not great, and maybe I don't want to play in a whole campaign with them because I'm indecisive. I've never played these like these characters before. It gives you so much more experience with the game, what other players can do at the table as well. Once you yourself have built um, a bard, you start to understand maybe how inspiration works a little bit more or, or what kind of skill set this person will have. Um, if, if someone else down the line is going to play a bard at a, at a table in a campaign you're playing at, um, so often people make characters and then try and insert them into campaigns, right, without yes. trying to model them. I think it's 100% doable. You have to understand, though, that that character is not going to be the way you make it ready to go in that campaign, right, no. unless that's the way the no. campaign's made. And, but, and I have done this actually with, with games we've played where I've had – I've done the, the proof of concept idea mm -hmm. with the build – and then when the came, campaigns come up, gone. Oh, I have the. Oh, I have a character that's kind of might work in that. And then go back and essentially rebuild them mm -hmm. with with that the, in mind. In the new setting in yeah. mind. And they come out way better because they role, actually yeah. have context now and the context. And they feel better. like real people now, right? Besides just. But it's nice having. It's nice having. If again, if you can afford it, um, we have unlimited character building, so it does mean we can have this massive bank of them. There's this freedom of just made. making but characters and pieces characters of paper characters. also work. You yeah. can export them onto paper and have stat blocks and stuff sitting there ready to go, and you put them in a binder or something and mm. keep them all there. And, and yeah, you never know. Like when a time comes around that you're like, oh, maybe I could play this. Or, or as a DM down the line, you've now got this repertoire <laughs> got NPCs. of 100%. Uh, there's been times where I've just been like, oh, God, I need someone interesting for them to meet, and I'll be scrolling through and be like, oh, I remember I made the character. Yeah, whatever. Let me run with it, right? And yeah. it's it's fun to just see well, that's essentially players meet someone else who exactly. has you know something that kind of feels you know reminiscent to them like oh they have a class too and they're another adventure and there's i mean even if you don't describe it to them that way there's sure. something very i don't know touching about that in a way it, it's an interesting way of of again building a bank for yourself just like you might have a sheet of names to draw from right there's another reason that you might want to have a a, a repertoire of characters that you personally might never play um i think it's it's definitely it teaches you a lot about making characters um for a setting or without the pressure of a setting right to have to try and guide you know what is this and it can just story be fun be? yeah it can, it can just be fun a bit like our we talked about world building just a learning experience. last time there's this like when you don't have other people to play with just making stuff for this game mm -hmm. is fun to do yeah whether you get to play it or not just the making process 100%. is like it's like crafting it's it's like it's like painting mini you're never gonna use yeah people some people like knitting i like making characters yeah, yeah sure i like building worlds some <laughs> people not? like knitting sweaters i don't know it's, mm. it, it, no and you judgment. might make 
you know, characters you're never going to play for the purpose of role-playing. Like, you think about this yeah. storyline, and then maybe down the line, again, you start to incorporate that, even if it's not your Aarakocra, you know, fighter that you're going to be playing. Their, their tragic, you know, journey from home or whatever. Maybe you like that idea and you put it somewhere else. Again, these are just ideas to play and run around with. If you're looking at feats or backgrounds or whatever, I encourage everyone, learn about the rules by making, by, you know, yeah. being inter... By, you know, going through it and making take it apart, put it back together. Rules, take right? it apart, put um, it back together. What does this multi glass look like? I can't even imagine what sure. this could be. And you put it together and you go, oh wow, that really works, or wow, this really is. Build work. it one level at a time. You like, oh, you yeah. make okay. Go so we get this. And then what would I do at the next level? Mm. And what would I do at the next level? What would they look like even one level higher? Right. And then the campaign does come around. And it's like all right, everyone playing level six. And then you look at your level fourteen person. I really want to play this. Well, they're a little too high level. Uh, and then you scale them back down and reimagine sure. them for the setting. And, and often, how you build hmm. them to level six. If you're building straight to level fourteen, you you take you skip over all sorts of like oh, things that would be kind of unplayable at level six because it doesn't matter. You're not really playing it. But when you have to play it, it also then forces mm -hmm. you to make different choices. And, and yeah, maybe. you'll get to level fourteen maybe, and they'll be completely different because yeah. you made different choices that made more sense with the story along the way than yeah. you did with your original idea. And this what is the what organic level growth like. looks like rather than yeah theoretical growth. Um, Another thing that is really fun, and this is even going beyond just what the rules say, is customizing. Yeah, number um, eighty-eight. Number eighty-eight on our, or even more than the flavor. Yeah, so number eighty-eight on our list of things to do is to customize an existing spell. This is specifically for spellcasters. Although I don't think it doesn't necessarily need to be I think further but down the let's line. Let's talk we'll... spellcasters. I mean, yeah. we, there's a lot of them in the game. For sure. Um, and you know, from from Tasha's. And even previous to that, there was a lot of uh, inspiration to sort of say, hey, make the spell look and feel the way you want your character to make look and feel. And mm. even go so far, and we've done this often, you can rename your spells. Although, I'll tell you right now, when you rename your spell, and then you like cast it at the table and you say the name of it. And everyone's and, like, huh? And people are like looking at you like, what's that, what's that spell? Um, especially your poor DM, who's at that point like, they're like they're blinking because they're like they're you can see the little brain whirring through all the spells they know <laughs> new thing and they're like, like it's only a level two spell why don't i know this and, know and they have to tell them actually i'm just it's it's you know yeah, it's my version of of this other uh, one you should simple. really communicate that ahead of time though um, yeah you can but still for uh, you know a reminder even um, if they forget it, perhaps. but it is it does sound cool when you do say like a new spell name at and the even table, if you put your name you'll on get, it you'll get you'll get a bunch of players at the table go hmm? Ooh, what's that what's that you know you this level three spell you know you know incineration of the masses and you're like whoa it's fireball but yeah. um yeah. but you know you can do stuff like that but then the sphere of flames but then like, the next whoa. the next step beyond that and this really requires talking with your dm because flavor or, is free or being right? a but, dm even and doing this for your players sure. um and we talk about this between the two of us all the time the is to customize either a spell that exists and modify it up to do other sort of things or to change it so much that you could it really could give it another name spell, yeah. uh, because it's it operates at a sort of different level now. Mm. Um, one of the things that we often talk about is what if certain spells that don't currently have upcasting abilities had upcasting What if they ability, did yeah. have upcasting? What sure. would that how would that change the spell? What what else could you do other features and things? Mm. And then when you start creating a thing that can do that, it almost takes on a new name. Mm. Uh, we were talking about good old Tensor's floating disc uh, the other day. Simple spell, little disc, falls you around, you put heavy things on it, done. 
Mm. Lots of limitations with that spell. Yeah, tons, tons, tons (laughs) for reasons. Um because it gets abused but then we're like well okay people clearly those re- all those that, rules are there because right? people want to do those things well, so why don't, why don't we let do you that? upcast it i'll let you expend greater amounts of resources and uh and by the time yeah if you're casting it in like a seventh level spell slot or something hells yeah your whole party can fly around on it like a magic carpet why the heck not you can go real fast why not <laughs> why and not it can carry more so i don't it, see you know yeah. I, I, why isn't there a seventh level spell that lets us do that anyways fly is would easily let us do that so yeah. um, casting fly at seventh level would give you what five people four people no five people yeah so like I, I haven't broken the game at all have i sure um so yeah you see what i'm saying like you you just you can take things and make them do more and have more fun with it um Mm. feather fall i think if you upcast it you can have way more people falling like feathers Uh, there's all sorts of ways to just change spells into just upcasting versions or just change damage types or change durations or change like how you know it, it's a bonus action now or you know do other stuff with it. it's pretty simple to do and change or even cooler you go and write a whole one from scratch yeah i mean that would be great but that requires practice right and in, in seeing yeah. okay what is the balance and it's why easier the spells to... have these rules and okay if i were to tweak this how do i keep it balanced right yeah. and these are things you learn like i look at even my own homebrew from like one to two years ago and there's slight tweaks but they're like nope this is there's a reason now i understand why you can't really do that right or why it becomes now so powerful i think the greatest lesson that still haunts me to this day um was making a cantrip that can heal people well you thought it was just one hit point so how how bad could it be um Um, well then of course to cantrip and guess as much as you want and now infinite healing why ever rest again um if yes, it, it, a, and if you'd made it one temporary hit point, it would have been great. Well, well like there are a million different ways you can approach it, right? But these are things that you learn. Like, why are why does the game work in this way? Yeah. It gives you new appreciation for, I think, design. How sometimes it's really hard to balance things, um, and also again flexes that muscle a little bit. If you're in the DM shoes, sure. um, or if you're playing a wizard, you go like, oh well, or whatever caster, right? You go, oh well, I wonder like, mm, well, what if the spell? I I don't quite find a poison spell that's of first level that i find satisfying ray of sickness is terrible i want something more like a, an aoe poison blast i'm like all right well let's take burning hands let's make it a con save let's make its damage poison and let's make it maybe do a little bit more damage because poison is more resisted and con is an easier save and whatever right As you start to learn the rules and the kind of the patterns yeah. this will become a muscle that just gets stronger and stronger yeah, right? and, and you just and, get it gets easier to improvise mm. that in the moment even yeah Um, and again even then you look okay maybe we made that a little bit too strong you sit down with the player hey love what the the spell is doing i think maybe it's a little bit too powerful could we talk about maybe toning it down a little bit or could we do a little trade-off or you know something like could we return this other part to it they go yeah why not right um and it's about you know showing respect and balance as players and the dm to make everyone else at the table be like okay well at least that's the most important thing right there you nailed it like if if it was just you and that one other player playing the game it doesn't matter because i'll just you can balance it by making tougher baddies sure but it's the other players at the table who's something like why did joe get like a spell that lets him like destroy a tarask and you know, I'm still trying to stab mm. it with my dagger. Sure. You know, it's you, you've got to make sure nobody, some people, the rest of the people at the table aren't going, dude. Like, why are you playing favorites? Why am I not? Why my character suck so much now mm. in comparison? Because people will compare characters, and they want they want to have sure. a sense uh, that there's some sort of fairness and balance. Yeah, of course. And, 
something that makes them special at the table that they're they're useful there i think that's fair um and then they you go yeah come to me and we'll talk about what we can do to make (laughs) your special special. it could be an item and that's another thing maybe we talk about later down the line um but they're customizing spells is such an amazing thing that you can do that's it's kind of easy right because they're so modular in the way that they they're they've got all these set parameters yeah and like even like you look at the sorcerer's metamagic and you go wow this changes yeah spells right even just a little bit right yeah. and you go what well, what if this was and that's something else you and i've played like, with right? customizing as well as customizing metamagic you and i've oh, come sure. up with more ways to you know when we broke down spells and looked at all the various meta components that are in it that are adjustable right. exactly. and you realize that sorcerers don't actually get to change as many of them as you as they could and if you did let them and how change unique more each and, spell is and how many spells have their own weird limitations to them that you're like well what if the spell didn't have this limitation yeah. there are some and that would be better like bark skin in exchange like for bark skin else, doesn't right? need concentration dumb like, like well, what sure. if we drop that like, and then what if instead now it gave you you know more ac but the duration yeah. is shorter or you know maybe yeah. maybe it has more ac but it does now require con- still require concentration or you can't give it to someone else or whatever, right? You think about yeah. a litany of different potential. Maybe it only lasts a couple hits. There right, are before spells. The bark wears there off, are right? spells that are bad already in the game that mm-hmm. could easily be improved at your table and again, for a player for with sure. a small tweak. You think about like, oh my, you know, my warlock always chooses the same cantrip. Yeah. It's because that cantrip's really good, right? Yeah. Eldritch um, Blast rocks. Talk to them about maybe like, oh, what would it be? How would you imagine I like them doing this spell instead? And maybe I can make it do a little bit more damage for you or make it feel cool for you. Or like, what? Well, okay, Eldritch Blast is easy, right? What does that look like besides pure energy? You start with the flavor and then down the line that could even turn into mechanical changes. Sure. Um, with the character, I think that's a, a good way to approach it, especially with new players who aren't very comfortable even with the basic rules. Sure. Um, before you can even delve into changing them or making them unique for them, because um, that can then throw them way out of whack. We're like, oh, I thought this was what the rules were. It's like, <laughs> Magic missile know. is a bunch of chickens that get thrown at somebody, isn't it? Um, uh, it looks yeah, like it could be like it chickens. Could be like that. I mean, there's no reason to Some people's be. missiles look different, but sure. yours could be chickens. Mm. And in that idea of, of following the rules a little bit um, before you delve into other things. I think it's, it's an excellent experience to try and play an official setting at yeah. one point. And I, this is our next topic. Number 87. 87. Um, play an official setting. Yeah. Um, for me, I would recommend... I I know I'm prejudiced on this, so I'm just going to go out and say it. Uh, Curse of Strahd is the king of settings. It's, <laughs> right. It is, is the most iconic. It has been around the longest. It, the... the Curse of Strahd module, uh, Ravenloft changed, changed D and uh, it set it on a new course and, and still remains this day, like such an iconic sort of setting. Mm. Um, if you've never had a chance to play uh, in Barovia and Curse of Strahd, uh, you should do so. That said, I've also played in Eberron, love Eberron. Um, I, and of course, you know, have done, have done stuff that's set in, um, although not official content so much, but has been set uh, on on the Sword Coast uh, mm. in various places. Yeah, in Faerun. I mean, um, just like looking in D&D Beyond and you look at all the list of all the adventures out there, um, I mean, I think immediately, like, there's whole adventures like, you know, Baldur's Gate, Descent to Avernus. My tip with that, skip the beginning, go straight into 
the the real meat of the adventure. The first bit is just there's a lot of potential for TPK and it can sure. get a little boring. Uh, but there's other things like Candlekeep Mysteries or you know there's some great other ones, ones that, that are like Candlekeep's lovely too because mm. it's like a bunch of short or, things. Yeah, Ghost of Salt Marsh. These um, are idea. These are not. These are like a what, what would you even call it? like an anthology or like yeah yeah like a bunch of small maybe disconnected in the surface stories but that really are connected if your party is one that mm. again doesn't can't always get scheduled to do if you play for if you know you can play for a few weeks and then it gets broken up and you play for a few weeks it's a great sort of way to yeah. go about um tackle a mystery and you know maybe it's it's two or three sessions and then that wraps up that little story right yeah and i've, I've done else. some fun it's stuff the same i've adapted maybe, right? i adapted a, a bit of candle keep into a into being a new part of my Curse of Strahd campaign. Exactly, right? Take I've pieces here and there. official settings into other official settings, making, or, I suppose, it unofficial, but... Uh, sure. Take official stuff, once you're familiar with that. And again, if you're first starting off DM and you're intimidated by running your own world, or like, what does it even mean to make an adventure and how do I make an adventure? Look at an official setting, right? Yeah. Either run it as it describes... Um, and there's sometimes where you'll be confused to what certain things mean or why it's written in a certain way, or you'll misread it, or and that's partially maybe the designer's fault as well as trying to communicate it. And it will naturally happen. Some modules are better than others. Regardless, it's it's a learning experience and what you want to do and don't want to do when you make your own either tweak on the official way to run it or your own unofficial setting, right? And yeah. that takes us into our next 86, plain, plain and unofficial setting, right? Once you've got this experience with what actual modules are, you know, as a player or even as a DM, this is, I guess, more oriented towards DMs, try to play an unofficial setting. Yeah. Whether it's your own or friends or whatever, like, or if it's if it existing and you completely rework it. Well, right? you can find games online as well. And often online, people are posting up official settings, it's yeah. easy to sort of say, hey, come play Curse of Straw, play. It's why there's the Adventurers League, which is this idea yeah. of a standardized. Ooh, there's lots of places that run set. that, and they, they say, okay, we're playing a very particular. And, the, mm -hmm. it, you know, there's ones that go with each official setting for that as well. And But then, yeah, somebody who will say, no, I've got my own homebrew world. It's X. Go see what their homebrew world looks like. Yeah. Go right. check out many people's different things. Also, I mean, in terms of unofficial. Um, there is other places online where you can find people's posting of their uh, ideas and worlds and things like that. Sure. Um, you can borrow and steal from, or as we'd mentioned earlier, if you've cooked up your own world, put some players in it, see what happens. Mm. Uh, there's a lot to learn about yeah. uh, world building once you have human beings unpredictably saying, hey, I want to do X. And you're like, oh, wow, I never thought about x <laughs> they're um, wanting that and then you improvise a little bit and then once the session ends you plan out the rest before right? you, you know you use that improvisation exactly you're like okay so i said that so now i've got all this stuff that is now yeah. canon okay great sure and that just comes with the territory of playing something new and it, it, there's something freeing about that in that playing a module when they say i want to do x and it's not there there's a sudden worry or pressure that something that you say or do will mess up the story down the line um, where with your own unofficial setting, the story can go wherever it wants to go yeah. because there is no pre-planned well, right chapter or whatever. The the thing about official settings as well, and I've watched DMs run it, I mean, whew, very few DMs stick to the absolute letter yeah. of the script. Um, and for good reason, because it's it, impossible. It's not easy You're to play that. Up. And and like I said, you're dealing with people at the table who 
presumably you've gotten to know and you're going to run stuff to make them have a good time or try to have, you know mm -hmm. create a good time for people and so maybe you change some stuff you skip some things you move some stuff around you and throw something else completely different in you bring in like i said you adapt something from another module and drop it in the middle of it Why not? um you know you you change up the gender and sexual orientation of the bad guy you do you change whatever you want in these things and then they become very much unofficially yours uh sure. they're officially yours but they're unofficial content right. um and that's great and you know what then you uh that game was completely unique and there'll, there'll never be another snowflake quite like it and and that's the beauty of D. &D. no mm -hmm. two tables running the same content will ever look the same yeah um you mentioned sort of making a fun new experience for another player right and i think we often think about that as, as the dm's responsibility but i think there's a really unique mm. opportunity in doing that as a fellow player and, and this brings us on to 85 which is surprising a fellow player with a fun in-game experience yeah. what does this mean though all right so my example from this was it was in the eberron campaign and we had a lot of wizards at the table um so there was four players uh and a dm uh, all of whom are, you know, have DM their own games as well. We're all experienced players. We'd all played in other campaigns together as well. So we all knew each other really well. And so we're all excited about this, this Eberron thing. And we've got, um, we got some wacky builds, you know, there's a blade singer and I've got like, a an, our, an old unearthed arcana wizard school that doesn't exist anymore. Um, and what was the other wizard? I think you're thinking um, of Artificer. Oh, it was an Artificer, actually. Yeah. No, it was in a wizard. But close, like, they still had the ability to... And then we had um, a Warforged fighter. Mm -hmm. It was the, a gunslinger, actually. So, you know, crazy bunch. And so I talked to the other players, and I talked to the DM about... Um, so our Warforged character, uh, his, he, his guns... He could have a better gun if we spend some downtime doing, uh, uh, you know, making one. And so I sort of said, okay, like we're, we've got this airship and we're traveling for a number of days to the DM. Hey, can we do at the beginning of next session, can we do this thing where we do like a montage, like old A team style thing of us all kind of working together? Cause I mean, downtime on a magic item, you can divide between wizardly types. And since mm -hmm. there's three of us and I had, we had component parts, we'd done some bunch of stuff. We'd had all the things The DM's like, yeah, okay. You guys have everything you need to meet the requirements for that. Um, so yeah, you guys can make the gun for it. But we, so we were talking about this, creating this gun for him. He would, hadn't asked for it yet. He hadn't said outright, oh, it'd be great if I had a new thing or something like that. He was quite happy playing along the way it was. And so he shows up. So we all agree we're going to make him this like super gun. And the DM's already signed off on the whole thing. So he shows up. And so we're all in character. And uh, one of the characters who's the captain of the ship sort of calls him in to the, sort of the bridge. And we all sort of start taking turns here, like tearing at him for being out of uniform and not have, not being properly equipped. And we're all being a little bit mean to him for a couple of minutes. And you could see him at the table, like kind of looking around at us, like a, kind of starting to freak out a little bit, like what the hell is going on? And then we roll out the blueprints and like, this is what you're going to be armed with from now on. And we explained to him that we're going to be building him like this super gun. And he, he literally started to like tear up at the table. He was like, you 
you guys are the best. I love you. But it was also it was just that reversal of like going from like kind of like mm. being mean to him a little bit to suddenly ta-da, here's the super encouraging you to be mean to other players that take it. It was for a brief moment and it was part of the setup to it. And trust me, he sure if there's if there's trust there and you you can do it right, I think go for it. But um the the focus is that you're I mean, again, this kind of ties into maybe a point that we'll have later down the road, which is using a unique crafting system of some kind to make a magic item or a reward for someone else's player. I mean, something that someone else can use that is, is cool and for them. Because um, it, often it's like the DM who has to interface with players and give them magic items. Yeah, and but we did that whole setup. Other like, players doing it? And even oh, create so cool. the crafting of it and uh, discussing how we were going to do it and everything. A little secret as well. The DM, a didn't, the DM basically had nothing to do for that first half hour of that session because it was all player driven RP Some DMs love that. between all of that. And yeah, as a, myself as a DM as well, anytime players decide they want to sit back and RP and do storytelling between themselves and things. Yeah, please go ahead. <laughs> I'm like, I am so happy to just like let that whole thing play out for a while mm. and just to get to sit there and watch it happen. It's so nice as a DM not to have nice. all that pressure on you all the time to be the one that's that's moving the ball forward. And if you feel like maybe the game is getting a little bit stale in terms of magic items or or things like, and you really want to like build a bond with another character, very very easy way to do that. Talk to your DM, talk secretly to a bunch of the other players, and go, I want to surprise this player if they've done something heroic or done something like interesting or hadn't uh, maybe they haven't had a lot of time in the spotlight. Give them a little moment in the spotlight. Make something cool for them. You know, maybe everyone in the party has just gotten this amazing magic item. Um, and I'm sure the DM's got something planned for that player. But you go up to the DM and go, well, I wonder, could we do something for this player? Maybe yeah. they, they just went through the ringer and you brought them back to life. And they've, maybe. they've faced the grave or something terrible that's happened to their character. And it's like, you know what? You've been through a lot. Here's something we made for you in that time or in that whatever. And it's like... What a sweet thing! Like to surprise someone with it as well. Yeah, you could so say cool. to them, "Okay, let's all we'll all subtract two hundred gold, three hundred gold, yeah, five hundred, whatever from our character sheets." Whatever. And then while we're in town, let's just say my character like he just slips off for a second to go check on yeah. something or whatever, gives up the cover story. Player table doesn't recognize what's going on, and then later we like present this thing, and they're like, "What?" And the DM's already signed off, and it's it's kind of fun to do these sort of like secretly plan things for each other mm. um it's very touching as a player to see that your fellow players are like thinking about you yeah uh, and willing to invest time outside of the actual time at the table to, to like make cook up you. stuff yeah. for the next time you join the session it's really cool and so yeah that's like and that's really player driven um mm. behavior you have to you know and, and i often see that sort of player behavior with people who are also dm level sort of stuff because they're they're comfortable taking the reins of the story. They know what their limits are as a player. Mm-hmm. Um, and they make sure they sign off of their DM. Yeah, of course. Um, there are rules for making magic items. If you yeah. want to be like, well, how many, what is fair? Or how much time yeah. should it take? I think honestly the time limit on some of the crafting things is just such a, such a. If you divide it by three um, wizards, it goes by really fast. Sure. And I can get worldwide like reasons why it wouldn't make sense for you to be able to make, you know, even items of some rarity uh some significant rarity in a world of you know low magic or whatever but like you know feed into the creativity a little bit if players are taking the initiative to make something you know maybe skirt around some of the limitations well, that are put and in place which right? takes us to number 84 um, 
and you can do this again as a player or especially as a dm um number 84 weapons homebrew weapons of all rarities and and this is this takes a bit of practice Mm -hmm. um and if you actually go and look on sort of uh you know griffin saddlebag who posts stuff on um reddit and stuff and how much stress testing Mm. uh, the whole community will do on magic items and you start to recognize yeah okay you need you need to really think about your magic (laughs) a lot of characters are made very powerful by the items that they have yeah Um, but if you can balance it out and do things like that and you talk to your players in advance you do this all the time right oh yeah of course like a reward to players making characters a lot of like a part of it really is giving them a unique magical item, right? And homebrewing something for them. This is again something that comes with experience of playing. You start off by giving them items that are in the book, and you're like, well, I wish the item could do a little bit more than that, or I feel the other item's not that powerful, or maybe it's a bit too powerful, or maybe again, can we change it a little bit? Can as the player express something to me and I don't see anything like it? Maybe I make something like it, right? Maybe I, I step outside the, again that comfort zone, pushing towards creating a weapon. And often, when we think about creating a weapon, uh, you think about making something that is of legendary caliber, of artifact caliber, of, 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 of again a weapon, right, or something. Yeah. And there I are tables for this to, in the DMG, if sure, you want right? To think do into it. items that are like, what does it mean to make a common magic item, right? Yeah. Most people don't make common magic items. I think it's cute to make little knickknacks and tchotchkes. Well, they can do stuff. Um, that can do little things, right, that are not game-changing, but creative, fun little yeah. things, right, that can maybe be bartered or sold off later. I mean, I mean, it's a little bit like my creation, you know, you didn't like it. but Or it's just, again, players using the tools you give them, right? And not everything they need to discover needs to be this plus two you know, long sword of, of Avalier, the first, whatever. It's like this little, you know, frog that when you pat it, you know, a little rain shower begins. Or, <laughs> exactly. I don't know, something like cute. Or, or And then you go into the uncommon category. And it, it gives you, again, familiarity with what these rarities mean, right? What does it mean for an, an item to be rare or uncommon? Like, what is the difference there? You know, one, within the rules of bounded accuracy, you'll see that plus bonuses to hit and for damage only go so far yeah. and how things increase AC only plus go so far. Um, and why, why is that? Why do those rules exist? But then also thinking, okay, well, what is this flavorful ability? Does it really even need to be uncommon or can it just be some common thing? Yeah. Right. Um, I think it's, it's, it, or if you're like, Oh God, I wish there was an item that had this like thing that, okay, look at the existing spell list. Is there a spell that does this? Make an item that lets you cast that spell a couple times per day. Sure. And you know, it's, some, it's a simple thing to start with, and then you build that out. And that sometimes it's about making items that are part of the story. Mm-hmm. And I think magic items that are designed to be part of the arc that you know lead you to the 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 big bad guy uh, in Curse of Strahd, the it's the Sun Sword. I mean, mm. the Sun Sword is the thing that you should be trying to kill Strahd with at the end. It's they, they leave it for you right there in the game. But what if no one is playing a big fighter or like a barbarian yeah, yeah. or a paladin or whatever? What are you gonna right? do? Change it. You Make sure it, do. do a little sun dagger for your rogue, or a little sun crossbow, or a sun hammer, or whatever. Yeah. Right? Like there's we've and we've talked about this in the past. There's an episode back there for whatever, turning right? the Sun Sword into the Dust Crusher, which is yeah. from a. a Alexandria, and this uh, is if you're item. playing with a module, right? Um, 
even looking at existing items or non-existing items, going like, well, I don't think this module magic item really fits any of my players. I don't think any of them are going to get much use out of it. What if I just tweak it a little bit to be for one of their characters, right? Because another thing sometimes if there's like, well, who, who do we give this to, right? Like, well, like, there's one cape. I'm sure we'd all love a plus one to our AC, but only one of it. Oh, well, let's give it to this person, right? I think sometimes designing specifically for character in mind you can be like yeah this feels like it's your it's for this character sure um, which also but then this also number 83 on our list is homebrewing a monster for that weapon to kill yes and which is sort of again leading to the idea of like how and the sun sword the, the sun sword is there to kill right to kill strud that you're like okay i've got a monster in mind big baddie at the end the only way my party's going to be able to, to deal with that is we put this, and that becomes a quest then to find the weapon that finds the monster that, you know, I mean, this is, mm-hmm. this is what fantasy, epic fantasy oh, heroic stories yeah. are all about. Then this weapon was forged to specifically kill sure. this entity, right? Or, you know, or the Excalibur type story, yeah, the thing that comes sure, out of, you know, like these things. And it could happen in the very beginning. And it's this weapon that is, you know, common. It's basically nothing. It right? doesn't look like anything. It doesn't look like anything throughout the adventure as the, player grows in strength that item grows with it yeah. until its purpose is realized Whereas its journey as it moves along the journey sure. it transforms yeah, uh, of course. and becomes that. a different thing by the time they reach the destination where it's gonna yeah as the player kind of changes like yeah. maybe suddenly the player takes a couple levels and you know paladin and suddenly the sword is a little bit more holy or whatever yeah. right like i don't know it's it's fun to see items evolve and then to on the flip side of that make things for people to do use those items for and if it's a weapon it's probably going to be used to kill something right and i think then the next step of, of trying to learn how to create your own monsters because it's a, a very different I, I feel in many ways from creating an item right it's learning you know what does what are usual hit point ranges what are usual ac ranges for for certain monsters yeah. like how do i calculate cr challenge rating you know, what's an interesting feature or action or attack or how many attacks should this thing be able to make? These are all questions, again, and that there are is, more There is some guidelines points, right? in the Dungeon Master's Guide on mm. on how to do that. As you practice with that, yes. and, or even as you just run encounters, if you use encounter builders that show you how deadly things are... Often like you'll get skewed results. You'll, you'll see, you'll learn over time that... Your, CR is, your is party <laughs> probably can handle more depending again and again i don't know i think i probably play with a lot of pretty good players and i think you do too uh who understand combat quite well and because of that i think cr ratings uh they can easily handle more much more uh than than that the book says they can sure um and so yeah so y- when you're homebrewing things knowing your players capabilities you knowing what their kind of damage output looks like um and you know this is also comes back to p- players who are good at building characters that do put out a lot of damage mm-hmm. then you suddenly are like okay well you know we're just gonna make things <laughs> soak more damage or um and you just keep you know they're different like like yeah take deal a lot of damage to them and now there's another thing as well. Maybe they've got a higher AC. Maybe now the person who throws out effects that do saving throws, you think about a team, right? It's not just about, you know, yeah, exactly. throwing the same old AC 15, you know, legendary resistances. So now all the people who throw saves are, again, it's thinking about, okay, how do the rules work? 
using that understanding as you build it over time as a DM, especially, um, to then provide challenges that require cooperation and teamwork, right? Yeah. Um, I think that's another thing. And then that fun. can go back to layers and the size, you know, the things that where the setting is. And yeah, there's a lot of aspects to that. And we've got plenty of episodes. If you we've look through our catalog those. now, we're talking about how to make monsters a little bit more interesting than how to make combat you know, more interesting and, meat, and right? how to, yeah, Saxon change that points. whole battlefield into something better. Hmm. I think shifting gears a little bit, but kind of on the same vein um, as we move into our next idea of of creation right, right. of homebrewing or making right we, we talked about we and we did an episode on this you know it number 82 is to create a demiplane of dread when van richten's guide came out it came out with a little thing about how to make uh, a, a little one of these little worlds but these worlds um these little evil pockets um of horror they aren't empty they always have some sort of dread lord in it and that is sort of homebrewing a monster on a whole nother level because this is something that has a story tied to it, an unredeemable story of some sort of how their character became cursed, so badly cursed, but also then so massively empowered. And when you talk about lairs, this isn't just a small cave or something. Their lair tends to be a whole land, a whole space that they have control over um, and are connected into and and so so the scale of of this monster is, is it, tremendous and the horror that you bring to it and all the, the spooky sort of stuff you can tie into mm. um, it, it flexes a different DM muscle I think. it does I think it's this because it is more story driven and it's less about the mechanics that we were just talking mm -hmm. about in terms of what's its AC and what's these sort of things that that is, I mean, these are just the different layers of being a DM as you get better and better at it. And just like a player might learn first what their character's AC is before they learn what their character's motivations are, right? Yeah. These are things you build, start inwards and build outwards, right? And the same goes, I think, for learning to homebrew as a DM, right? It's it's easy at first to look at the numbers of existing things and build out from that. But you look at the way that like certain monsters have lore and you go like, wow, that's so unique or creative inspiring or creepy or whatever feeling it gives you and you try and learn how to do that that is almost then and if taking you can learn how to then D &D. put the that story into the land so that the players are discovering sure. it as they're going through various adventures that you know they're overcoming various you know and we like having a bit of fun combat but that the combat reveals story yeah. and that as you do that you start to realize that this dread monster this dread lord this thing you suddenly understand how it became that and you almost develop a bit of sympathy for it and there's these mm. sort of conflicting feelings you start to have about it and then maybe you even find a way to overcome it that has nothing to do with facing it in battle sure maybe the real fight against it is an emotional uh, interaction it's mm. it's an rp contest of 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 helping it confront its own demons yeah uh, that brings idea. it to the end and so you've got a very different level of dungeons and dragons at this point um it can be really elevated sort mm. of to another to another level yeah i think it's fun as well we've had an episode on this running a scary campaign yeah uh, as well it's a, it's a different kind of vibe um, and I think it's one that everyone should have a chance to experience. Um, and Ben Richten's Ben Richten spells it all out. It's yeah. fantastic. It's it's a great source for doing that. It gives you all sorts of different kinds of horror. Even if you're just like I, I don't have friends to play D and D with. I don't have a like write. Just make a little setting. Make a, do a little bit of creative writing with the inspiration on how to tell horror, horror stories from Ben Richten's. It's a great source. On the flip side, yeah, there is the 
creation of the demiplanes of delight, um, which are, if you were to explain to a person who doesn't understand, what is a demiplane of delight? Sure. Well, okay. So, um, which light? Uh, beyond the witch light. It's an adventure module that came out. Um, was kind of the flip side. So the dread domains are sort of based off the shadow fell. Whereas the domains of delight. Darker energies. Yeah, yeah. Where the domains of delight are kind of based off the Feywild. Which are more like fairy tales somehow. Yeah. And um, and so uh, witch light was kind of, was an example of how one of those was done. And then uh, which is the coast, instead of publishing a hardcover book, published through a source called uh, DM's Guild, a supplement um, called Domains of Delight. And it uses the same set of structured rules that Van Richten's has, principles, pretty much like almost copy and paste, but they change out the content from being, you know, gothic horror, cosmic horror sort of, into, yeah, more, more twisted fairy tale. Um, Mm. There's still some spookiness to Fae. They can be creepy, but in a different creepy, and also or it's a little bit. Or fun, it can be a bit right? more funny, and yeah, a little bit lighter, and might also play better if you're trying to introduce younger players I, I into think so it as well. Um, and and I think it it flexes a very different muscle as well because as you as we've done as you sit and try and create a domain of delight, you can't help but start to tap into all sorts of really fun fairy tales, mm. and. There's an aspect of fantasy role play that when you start to bring in, um, you know, tales of golden geese and singing harps or whatever it might be, um, you know, castles on clouds or, you know, however you want to do this. Um, you know, there's all the Alice in Wonderland stuff. There's just so I mean, many different yeah, things. Studio Ghibli-esque about yeah, it there's, as well. You can, yeah. Mm. Uh, um, Howl's Moving Castle type things or yeah. whatever. There's so many different fun ways that you can touch in, on things like that and bring them together. Um, and it's, again, so you're you're creating, the tools are there to create a, a heightened level of storytelling that it can still have fun, some fun conflicty, you know, fight scenes and stuff in it because everybody likes a bit of a fight with their character, but hopefully also has um, more story to it. And, mm-hmm. and this could be part of your beginnings of your world building as well. Oh, yeah. Um, for those of you who are keen to like trying to, oh, I want to build a world, I would highly, highly recommend you start by building like a, a demi-plane, little demiplane yeah. type thing. Even if that demiplane then doesn't evolve to be just a demiplane, but it can become a whole other thing or whatever. The yeah. whole world could be like this. Um, it's a great way to start with a high level center figure to that world who has a backstory has a reason of what they want and what's going on and things like that yeah your world um, is automatically filled with something right yeah something with some motivation that shapes the way the world is right and very magically so often right and um, it, it's it's how stories work in the know, world a it story needs empty. a it's prime just, antagonist yeah, it's not just terrain it's it's there's something going on yeah. right it, it feels lived in um, which I think is, is something that I even struggle with when trying to make a world is how do I make this world feel lived in right yeah um, well, typically, if you just draw up a map and then you start putting cities and realms in, then you've got it's like, okay, well, this kingdom then has this, and this kingdom. And that's has not that. a, a wrong way to do it. No, it's just a different method. It, and you it can is, miss a step though you, there. Right? Yeah, and if you're if you're good at that method, you eventually will come up with your own Game of Thrones type style. World. Sure, yeah. Um, but it takes a lot of work. Sometimes it's easier to start with one of these sorts of things and then building voila. out. Voila. Yeah. 
But um, you know, because it's against so many tables to inspire you with yeah. this, right? And you can get a little bit more silly with a domain of delight. Yeah, it is. Um, another way that you can well, really spice up and change the way shifting people gears completely. Gears. If you don't want to have to build anything, <laughs> well, again, I don't see why not. I think you can make a very lore-rich filled right. um, setting on this. Number eighty, not, but host a PvP match. Yeah, some circles. So if you don't know what that means, subject but. PvP is having players fight players right and you don't want this just at a normal table like of of story happening and suddenly everyone's fighting each other terrible emotions can be hurt yeah um but if the expectations going in yeah are that you're going to do a little bit of player on player fighting the system is not built for this it's not great dd is not really doable. made for fighting each other it can be fun but it can be very fun yes it can have it, it can allow you to try and flex mm. some stuff and 100 try some things out yeah, 100%. Um, it's a little bit less skill-based, although I don't see why it has to be that. Again, we've had episodes on how to make PvP really interesting, and I think adding some skill challenges in between the combat, just like you'd find in regular D&D, sure. is what can make it feel like it, it really tests all sides of of characters and mm. not just the fighting side. Um, um, uh, what's his name who does animated spellbooks? Zeev. Z Bashu. Bashu. Has a great video on it. He yeah. does, yeah. He talks about one where he went into it going, oh, God, I'm not looking forward to this. And it turned out to be this whole tournament that he was involved in. And mm -hmm. it was like you could, like, use your intrigue skills to, like, you know, rig the matches or tip the scales behind the scenes and do sure. more stuff. And and he's like, oh, okay, the DM who ran that, like, he totally got how to players could be pitted against each other, which wasn't just rolling D20s to see who gets the highest score and more mm. often than wins but you actually digs into it more and and i would recommend yeah if you're going to host a pvp match kind of do that as well um but come up with a great map come up with a really good fight zone come up with interesting arena you yeah, know you've or, got, with some effects in it you've got this going. scenario where you're building this world around the fight right yeah so the fight should be weird and cool and push the limits of magic or of of you know the way this entire space is set up you yeah. know maybe the audience plays a role in discouraging or getting inside the players heads yeah. or i don't know there's fun we've, considerations we've there. watched um we've watched the critical role players do pvp against yeah. each other with high level characters so you watch players who you know and this is out of the the story of the game it's just like and you know what if universe along the side um but it's interesting to watch players who know each other's characters mm -hmm. also then also being very careful to not set up those like situations where they know that other character is going to be really strong. Mm -hmm. They try to like, you know, avoid walking into the, the, you know, the things they know that are going to hurt them <laughs> a lot. So sure. yeah. And it could be a fun way for, you know, for a night that say, only two of your five players can make it to the table for whatever scheduling reasons. And you still like, you're like, yeah, we still want to play. You're like, all right, I got a map that I've been wanting to use for a while. Do you guys want to like do a little PVP tonight or something? Yeah. And Just you still get together. You can still flex your characters. You yeah, can still um, try out some different moves or things. Uh, or you could just put the two of them on the same team and put a monster in there as well that they can mm. bash away at together and just have that. a fight night. And fight nights are fun too. Yeah. One thing I've always wanted to do, and this is maybe just a little tangent as well, is just with another, not even another player, another character, just two monsters going at each other. I don't know why. There's something, <laughs> why not? Like play with another Codium, if you will, and just pick two of these like CR, you know, 16, 17, these brutal monsters and just see how they go against each other. Because again, <laughs> the game is not made for that whatsoever. It wasn't really designed um, for it, but at the same time, 
Eh, it'll work. It'll work. I mean, you can. I mean, hit points are the same across every creature, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, it should give work. It a go, right? Um, I think it's a fun idea, uh, especially if you're both controlling different armies. Like there was one time where I played a bunch of different little just stat blocks of goblins and you know these goblin invaders, and you had this orc settlement or camp out, and the the objective was just to you know do a little raid on the the town or the I don't know. It was a cute. Again, not we'd, at all. It's almost like Warhammer at that If you point. look at our, uh, what was, because um, when it goes back to something we spoke in the last episode, we'd uh, we'd been painting minis. Yes. And we'd yes. finished painting a, a big horde of, of goblins and a big horde of, of orcs. And it was like, all right, goblins versus orcs, go. Hmm. And uh, I think goblins won that night, actually. Yeah, they did win that night. Again, at this point, why are we not playing Warhammer? I don't know. Well, um, I don't know. Because it's well, a different commitment. Uh, we but... weren't even, uh, we weren't too sure whether we were balanced or anything. We were just using basically the minis that we had. And sure. we're like, we set up some tents and a camp and build this sort of setting and just was like, all right, three, two, one, go. Mm. Um, roll yeah. initiative and we'll just play it from here and see what happens. And mm. it was fun, though. Oh, it was a good laugh. I, uh, it was a good laugh. Um other ideas, I think, again, shifting gears, we're now, we don't have maybe a consistent train of thought across some of these ones. Um, on a special event, again, maybe you only have uh, a one session set up. Yep. Um, you don't have time to do a whole thing. So say you can't play Curse of Strahd. As a whole campaign. All year long. Yeah. But you um, want to have a taste of it, even for one There's night. a deep tradition, and this is a number 79 on our list, to play Curse of Strahd on Halloween. Hmm. Now, that doesn't mean the whole damn campaign setting. It typically means just the last bit. Yeah. You are going into Castle Ravenloft, you're going to find Strahd, and you're going to kill him. Mm-hmm. Or he's going to kill all of you. Yeah. Well, one shot's um, the stakes are yeah. Yeah, less. Uh, and it's going to be something like that. Mm-hmm. And so all your fortunes of Ravenloft that are going to help you out are in the castle. They're not scattered across Barovia. Um, and uh, your DM's going to streamline this thing as best he can. Uh, to make sure that within three to four hours you can run around the castle, see enough of it to actually have like a little sense of like, hey, this is Ravenloft. This place is huge. Mm. Amazing. It's an amazing map. It's an amazing castle. Um, have a chance to like run around there a little bit Get and, then, a little and bit. then find the room that you're supposed to confront mm-hmm. Strahd in and sure enough, he'll be there because the fortunes of Ravenloft don't lie. And hopefully at that point you've got your sun sword and your uh, holy amulet of Ravenkind. And, you know, yeah. maybe you've read through the speed run through his, yeah, he, through his books, you know, like his weaknesses a little and, and bada bing, bada boom, you know, you try and kill him. Yeah. And maybe you do and Good maybe fun. you don't. Yeah. Again, there's so many like different versions on that classic invade the vampire's castle and slay the vampire, you know, Castlevania style that even in like, if you look at, Dean Beyond, they've got like this article from years back on like Strahd in space and how you can do this. Yeah, yeah. You know the castle. So if you played, have you played Curse of Strahd in Halloween before? Well, you haven't played it this way. Let's do it different. Sure. I mean, in making it every year, can we do it a little differently? Yeah. Maybe you are all vampire spawn of, you know, Strahd, and you're taking your revenge or helping Strahd out, or I don't know. There's um, different variations you can do on the classic vampire story, but embracing that, even if it's just for one night. I think it's a fun thing to do on Halloween, especially, you know, get the mood lighting, get it yeah. all in the right spot with the spooky, then, you know, late night session. And I don't know, it's, it's a fun I, um, experience. I did actually wrap up my year and a half long Curse of Strahd campaign by having them finally fight and defeat Strahd. Was it on Halloween? On Halloween. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah that's a fun experience. Um, I, I don't know. I think it's just very Halloween-y, you know, setting appropriate almost. Um, 
something that doesn't need to be setting appropriate no. that can kind of happen almost wherever you are i guess some settings don't really have these but it wouldn't really even be D D if you didn't have dragons and a chance to fight a dragon um number 78 on our list is fighting a dragon and i put dot 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 of every age and color and maybe that's a little bit too hard um every single one could be a little challenging i think more than just your your red dragon right or you're just your your gold dragon right fight some of the weirder ones you know what would it be like to fight a copper dragon or a, a green dragon or a black dragon or a white dragon i don't know some of these other ones that we maybe don't look at as often that are fun experiences what would it be like to fight a little dragon worm like a bunch of little dragon wormlings right yeah or like one big ancient dragon and there was right? you know fitzbanks came out a little while ago fitzbanks is Fizzbanks. another uh, source book and it's got lots of dragon stuff in it and it's important, I think, again, to the culture to keep running back that it's in the name. Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. Um, and that, yeah, we the dragon component of this game is huge. There are there are modules on dragons. There's, I yeah, mean, run a gem dragon. Why not? There's all sorts of fun, different, interesting sort of dragon stuff out there. We even did a, we did an episode where we crafted up an interesting brass dragon uh, to meet and talk to. Um to do you know you can you can there's so many interesting things we can do with this that putting a dragon in the game um as a dm uh facing one as a player it does feel like once you've crossed this one off your list of 101 things in D to do i mean if you've played D for a while and you haven't actually fought a dragon you sort of feel like well, where the hell are the dragons in this game it says they're on the box it's supposed to get dragons where are my dragons Hmm, yeah do a weird moonstone dragon or like pull like a topaz dragon or, i don't know, pull something out from from fizzband's book you know yeah, if you gets, have it or if you have get a dragon that or... maybe if you yeah if you're playing with experienced dragon players turtle. they haven't seen before you're Ghost like, okay who here at the tables fought a topaz dragon Everybody's a like, hollow what? dragon whoa whoa draco hydras and great worms and i don't know there's a there lot of stuff dragons you can there. do yeah um you can make it feel interesting and, and different um for sure. And it's just a staple of the game. Are you really playing D&D? Have you really played D&D if you haven't fought a dragon and explored a dungeon? Or if I you mean, can't, so some of them you may not want to fight. Maybe you've that. come across an ancient dragon. Or maybe you want to help it and out. Maybe, yeah, maybe you make allies with it. Maybe the ancient ones are like, it's too big, and you guys are only like level three. Hmm. But they're not all evil. They don't all have to be fought. Sure. You could be on a quest. You can make friends with it. It could do interesting things. It I could love make, it. do other stuff with you. But yeah, I guess, I guess number 78 here is really like, put a dragon in your game. Uh, somehow play with one it's it's like i said it's part of the culture which also leads us then to the other name that's on the box number 77 draw up a dungeon crawl for sure classic straight up you descend into it there's a whole bunch of rooms you clear it room by room yes there's a ton of fighting there's traps people are going to die it's like it's a thing but there's treasure you're going to come out of it richer maybe hopefully if you come out of it at all but just classic dungeon crawl um mm. that's as old as graph paper in my mind um yeah. we suggest that was like such a primary staple to mm. how i began playing D D. is we just draw up dungeons with graph paper and then make our friends go through it and see how far they could get for the die right. we'd even do one we even approach, yeah we did it was very very guy gaxian we'd um we'd often have characters die in like the first bit of it because it was too tough but then essentially respawning right um and then running it again 
and see if they get farther and farther. Um, we, we played video game style before there was video game style games like this to play. 100%. Yeah. This was Elden Rings before Elden Rings, <laughs> man. Like, um, yeah, and dungeon crawls, like, if you can drop a dungeon, you've you've mastered a particular another yes yeah, skill, skill in the DMs mm. uh, in your sort of DMing. I would encourage. Uh, there's skills. so many cool resources out there for making dungeons and interesting puzzles um, to to challenge the players. Like if you think about classic like Legend of Zelda style dungeons yeah. uh, of the way that they interlock or have keys and doors and use yep. those and you have to go back and traverse and um, and the way they do traps and monsters and rooms it's um, again a little video gamey but I think there's some fun lessons uh, in, in approaching dungeon design in that way yeah right um, and you can even do very simple don't make it linear you make can, it you know choose your own path and sure. the way you approach it and the way you make it for the players you know you know one player knows the knock spell make us like a little magical lock that can only be suppressed by the knock spell or it, the way it, and it like, doesn't have to on. have a hundred rooms it can be it can be eight rooms it can sure. be five rooms yeah well um, yeah look at the uh, the classic <laughs> five room dungeon design right, right? which can be doesn't have to be specifically but dungeons but sure. it can be but yeah that that's essentially that idea the five room dungeon where there's like a that's that's a very fun easy skill set to have in your you know to be able to very quickly produce a, a mini adventure for people um also on the same bent if you want to get really really good at this and you want to see people who are just master level dungeon crawl creators Look for the people who are making isometric maps. Oh, yeah. Oh, I had a friend I played with for a while. He was getting into doing isometric drawings for his dungeons, which were hard and scary and brutal, um, but interconnected across a huge campaign world that he built. Amazing DM. Um, but it's, particularly when it came to his map drawing, oh, my goodness, it yeah. works works of art. And and. You can't help it when you see a DM who brings out their own hand-drawn isometric maps like that. Just, just wow. to stop. We did. We I took pictures of them. We'd all like ooh and ah over mm. them. Um, you can think more three-dimensionally, really, with isometric maps. Oh, so beautiful. Um, so beautiful. Yeah, that's a skill I want to work on. Um, it was. I mean, it was the reason that I think Ravenloft also blew people's minds back in the '80s. It was the first mm -hmm. time we'd seen an isometric map, and we were like, "What is that? That's cool." Um, so yeah, those are, those are your different levels of dungeon crawl skills. Uh, get out there, see if you can do some of those things. Speaking of having your mind blown by seeing things that you've never seen before. Mm, good um, segue. <laughs> Eldritch beings from beyond the stars. I know yes. we're nearly number, getting, number uh, 76, hour, but fight a being from beyond the stars. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Eldritch stuff, man. Uh, cthulhu -y Far Realm. Lovecraftian Lovecraftian stuff. stuff. Um, it, it's a different kind Cosmic of spooky. Cosmic horror. Again, this kind of ties maybe into some of our other points about playing in a spookier campaign setting. And I think we jumped to maybe the idea of dark fantasy or gothic horror. But do something weird and a little alien, maybe. I mean, it could be like a spell jammer completely different outside of our, our planet. Or maybe a little bit more modern, right? Yeah. I mean, again, this could be trying other rpg systems which i think we'll get into a bit later like call of cthulhu and then you know taking some of those ideas there's um a book we have by sandy peterson mm. um cthulhu mythos cthulhu mythos which is all 5e e. all yeah. five all built for 5e right there are resources and communities out there adapting these spooky beyond 
you know, fathomable creatures. Uh, and if you're playing and, as a character, maybe... And we maybe did an episode in this as well. Where we, stuff, you know? we dug into aberrations oh, yeah. uh, a bit more. And I think they're... A, we, we were talking in that episode. We Underrated. were talking about, yeah, they, they don't they don't show up as much and, and rightly so because they're they're weird and yeah. odd and when do i put this in and where do i put this in and yeah you sort of need to design your setting kind of specifically with them in mind. with them in mind to put into that mm-hmm. um they probably you know you're not just gonna find an ableth in the local town well likely although wow who knows whoa 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 there's an adventure <laughs> right there that um, just wrote itself um <laughs> uh, hmm, something maybe, so maybe you too yeah. <laughs> wow um that sounds that's terrifying Poor town. um uh so yeah something like that is yeah I, I think you know look at the aberration stuff and of course i mean of them all of all the aberrations and the things beyond the stars really worth looking at um is an is a beholder i oh, think there's yeah. very few things as iconic in D D as beholder i mean xanathar who's got this whole guide and as part of a major adventure in water deep um is a hilarious interesting uh, beholder with a goldfish um and just their whole tie into the lore and how long they've been around in the game and everything that's going on get it get a beholder in your game yeah. somehow either as again like but like we were saying with the dragon something you just interact with at um, least once. because they're tough or go ahead see if you can fight one they are they've got a lot of eye stocks man <laughs> a lot of things mm. coming at you but how do you set the mood for this right kind of fight yeah um and this will maybe be our last point for today is making your own custom playlists um, for a setting-related thing or a fight-specific thing or, um, again, using Spotify or whatever it might be. Curate your own D&D music. It is so easy today. And, again, not necessarily having to plug Spotify, but, um, wow, does it make it easy with Spotify if you can afford Or any streaming service, the really. Um, there is so much fantasy adventure music out there. Yeah, look up the Witcher soundtrack. Uh, you can run off YouTube anything, and things yeah. as well. Yeah, Although trying to do it without ads because they yeah. kind of like they kind of ruin the immersion in your game yeah. a bit. If you can be ad ad beyond yeah ad free, and whether you're playing at a table, the stuff just kind of looping in the background, set up a couple hours worth it of it. Gets the mood going. It does. Um, or I've been doing sort of more ones where I even have like I know they're going to be fighting. So in the during their fight scene, especially when I'm playing online, I'll have it play sort of fight music, and then once we get back into exploring, I move back into exploring music. And I know people even with who are using, um, uh, I was going to say Beyond Twenty, that's not the right word, um, uh, virtual tabletop, um, right. uh, Foundry, Forge, uh, that stuff. Ooh leave move on <laughs> anyways um with vir- certain virtual tabletops you can actually set it up so that when a player moves their token into a particular space Ooh, certain cues go off yeah they can hear wow. certain music and things like that and that takes your whole dming to a whole nother level and i don't know if we have much in vtts here but maybe i'll put uh, a little That's note in talk here. about that maybe further we'll down, talk the line. About that down the line um, a little bit yeah um but yeah that's uh Something that I think that I, I wasn't aware of doing um, until I was like, oh, yeah, I should get some music going, some yeah. fight music, um, and really sitting down for some time, just like world building, considering some song choices, looking at what existing playlists are. Again, 
I would encourage you look up the Bloodborne original soundtrack um, for sure. some fight music or look up some again The Witcher is a great one so there's some more fantasy ones out there as well Will Savino another great one what was what's one you use for Curse of Strahd a lot oh um, Midnight Syndicate Midnight or Syndicate does mm-hmm. I've got a lot of stuff from them um, but they, it comes from all sorts of places like there's a Werewolf Fight the other night was um oh man a whole list of stuff but it was like stuff from witcher dark crystal um monster hunter dark fest dungeon uh witcher 2 sword coast uh legends like there's just like so many different albums out there of things you can kind of listen through and pick ones that you like warhammer end of time like there's just so much stuff out there now um that yeah i had no idea i mean we as a kid i remember second edition Ravenloft coming out and saying, set some music to I remember thinking, what music would I play? I don't, I don't have any spooky music on tape. Yeah. Um, where today, yeah, there is no missing music. You can, you can find sure. almost well, anything. They hardly didn't sell any hour-long, eerie forest ambiance back in the day at your local yeah. record shop. Or well, they kind of did. I remember like DVD. at Halloween, one, one house we walked by would have like a, had a tape instead of spooky music and they were playing on the stereo and we're oh. like, where'd you get that from? It was good for D&D. There is actually one more I want to very quickly touch on here, I think, to end to cap this off, that goes with the custom playlist, is also making custom maps. All right. We'll touch on this really quickly, because we were already blowing past the hour mark. All right. Um, But we got so many episodes to get through on this. Um, Custom maps uh, really help improve your game, but they're a hard thing to build. Um, We like some resources like uh, Incarnate uh, for for building maps mm-hmm. um but i've done them other ways as well um there are various map building tools and things that are pretty drag and drop kind of easy ways to do it um or we've also done we've got uh tabletop maps where we will find something uh that we can print out or we just roll it a map and draw on it mm, we run, yeah. we've got erasable maps that we and we've mm. got little 2d things that we've cut out and place on them and build stuff with it and it's yeah. it's fun to build your own maps 100 um, i think starting from the lowest here if you're like i have no idea how to do maps or print maps i don't have access to a printer if you're just like coming from the perspective of cheap and cheerful but i want to have maps in tokens or minis or some kind of thing like that start with a whiteboard yeah. start with just a big whiteboard if you can get it anywhere just buy a whiteboard buy a couple markers yeah or just erasable um, white um yeah like material that you can wipe and redo and yeah and, whiteboard is is the easiest starting point but yeah from that you then move on to you know these laminated whatever with erasable grids, yeah. grid maps right that's your next step up um for years i just used a whiteboard yeah, with no very, scale it was a right? very small white um, bit whiteboard yeah um and we made do right you make do and you have to kind of tell them what the ranges are like i guess this is kind of 30 feet and you start to kind of get a feel for that and then you move on to graded maps and then you move on to printed maps if you're really getting invested for certain you know parts and um again none of them are necessarily better although technically they are you know perhaps engage more engaging more immersive more whatever right and we do this because we can do this but again if you can't do maps and for whatever reason get to a point where you've got a a tv on the table that's then playing animated maps that's the insane or you watch the crit roll guys where they've got you know crazy amount of 3d terrain stuff printed out um, and lights and smoke effects cut out little paper tokens to begin with or would i get little like 
representatives of what it might be minis could just be little paper clips right this is this is D &D, right right? this is in and yeah you can of course you can always do theater of the mind but this sort of this extra component of creating uh something on the table that uh, you know you can uniquely ttrpg yeah it is definitely part of the the culture yeah okay that takes us to very nicely the end of number 74 thank you very much folks for joining us as we uh, celebrate our hundred episodes of uh, like dragon like sun and uh, we'll pick up from number 73 next week bye bye